Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Friday, May 19th. I'm Shelby Herbert. Petersburg's Housing Task Force plans to survey residents to better understand housing needs in the borough. Dave Kensinger chairs the task force and is also a member of the Petersburg Borough Assembly. He says the two groups are trying to find a place to start with the borough's housing needs. And this is one of the main sources of data that they're going to have is what we tell them. And what they're trying to find out is a couple of things. They want to know what we need now, what we're going to need in the future, and then what we're going to need in the near future. The housing task force hired Agnew Beck, an Anchorage-based consulting firm, to put together the survey. It's 36 questions long, takes about eight minutes to complete, and covers the survey takers' demographic information, like race and household income, as well as their overall satisfaction with their current living situation and a list of possible solutions for them to consider. One of the 36 questions asks participants to rank how stressed they feel about the housing shortage. Jeff Miucci is another assembly member on the housing task force. The shortage has him feeling very stressed out. Miucci says the local housing shortage is so bad, even the local government feels the sting. He says Petersburg's borough desperately needs workers, but they can't find a place to put them when they show up in town. I mean, we hired a police officer I think last summer, and he had to live up at the fire hall until he found a place, and nothing ever showed up, and he had to leave. And um, the borough's got several openings that the power and light um, were trying to fill. We were still looking for a police officer as well. And Kinzinger says they need as many people as possible to take the survey so they can work towards a solution with more accurate data. The thing that this will do is a consultant will take all the results from these questions, and my hope is that they'll be able to give us some concrete suggestions and answers, say, this looks like this is a need that you're going to have going forward in the future, 20 years from now. The survey results are due by September. At that point, the Assembly will decide if and how they'll act on the data. Kensinger says the results could help local nonprofits and tribal government entities leverage grants because the survey would document the severity of the need for housing in the area. The housing task force will set up a, sur- a survey booth on Main Street for the Little Norway Festival this weekend. You can find paper copies at the booth, but you can also complete them via QR code. The task force will circulate the survey for the next three weeks, but participants who fill out the survey at the Little Norway Festival are eligible to win a $100 gift certificate. Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce received an anonymous tip a few weeks ago that expressed concern that the chamber was running a cash raffle in violation of state gaming statutes. Turns out the tipster was right. But as Sage Smiley reports, there's a plan to remedy the raffle that the Chamber is relying on to help fund the community's largest event. Wrangell's Chamber of Commerce has been working to battle its way back from dire financial straits for almost a year after officials say its usual funding mechanisms have all but failed. 
the thought was 800 tickets, $50 a ticket, that's $40,000. Brittany Robbins is the chamber's outgoing executive director. $10,000 goes to someone, and now we have $30,000 to at least, you know, have a 4th of July. However, they're not selling well. Robbins says the chamber's financial problems predate her leadership, which began in 2021. The chamber sells pull tabs to bars in town as a backup source of funding, but the lion's share of its money comes from chamber memberships and fundraising in the run-up to the 4th of July. Pull tab sales and holiday fundraising fell flat last year, leaving the chamber with a third of its usual reserves. So the chamber made changes, pulling many of its paid memberships to organizations around town, implementing fees for 4th of July booths and services, and cutting back on working hours. They also started a cash raffle in August. Originally, the raffle didn't have an end date. The chamber said it would draw tickets after all were sold and the 400th ticket drawn would win $10,000. But that's not legal. We received an anonymous letter in the mail that just said, hey, I'm concerned. You know, this is this is what I know about gaming. The biggest thing was not having a draw date. It's important to have a draw date so everyone kind of knows. So there's not the constant wondering and asking and saying, hey, like I'm giving you this much money, when am I going to know if I won or not? State gaming law is pretty clear and strict about what information needs to be provided with a ticket when it's purchased. That includes the draw date and location as well as other prizes. Um, I, I do have the book. It's just, you know, it's a lot of things to remember. Robin says she takes responsibility for the error. She's what's called the member in charge, legally responsible for making sure the chamber's charitable gaming follows the law. And... Would I say that I probably should have gone through and checked through that? Absolutely. But I didn't, and I can't go back on that now. Um, and we've you know, been told this, this is how it needs to be, and so we're going to do that. It's not clear whether the oversight will bring penalties for the chamber. In the months since the chamber started the raffle, they've sold around a third of their tickets. At a chamber board meeting on May 1st, the chamber's treasurer reported 258 tickets sold. That number shifted slightly in interviews with KSTK and the Wrangell Sentinel. Luana Wellens has been the chamber's executive assistant for around the same amount of time Robbins has been director. Wellens is now the executive director in training and will take over that role in the coming months. She and Robbins say that isn't related to the raffle oversight, but is a cost-saving measure as the chamber struggles more broadly with finances. As she works toward that transition, Wellens is also working to rectify the raffle's issues. To make it all legal, that includes setting an end date for the raffle. The chamber is aiming for August 15th. Chamber board members said they think extending the raffle past the 4th will help it not compete with holiday-focused fundraising. Plus, at the end of summer, fisheries are wrapping up and people in town will have more money. The chamber will have to reprint unsold ticket numbers with the proper information. It'll make the running time of the raffle around a year. Because it says need not be present to win, we don't. Ha- we are not legally required to notify everybody um, that what happened with it. Um, but we're planning on doing that. Me and several board members are going to do that. We just have to email or call, whatever it is. Um, it doesn't have to be in writing. And uh, to notify them of what's going on. The chamber will also need to have any additional prizes in hand and special specify what they are and what ticket will win prizes. Several businesses have pledged uh, prizes, but we still haven't picked them up. We also need to have those in our physical possession before we start selling tickets again. Outgoing Director Robbins and incoming Director Wellens say they've been in contact with the state gaming office about the raffle and what needs to be fixed. 
we just want to move forward in the correct way and do everything legal and keep everything on the up and up because we don't want to upset anybody and we want to do things the right way. In an email, a Department of Revenue spokesperson said it's out of the ordinary for a charitable gaming organization to be in violation of gaming requirements for raffles. She added it can lead to permits and licenses getting suspended or revoked. But the department didn't say whether that could be the case for the Wrangell Chamber, which ran the raffle for nine months outside of state gaming law. Wellen says although the money from this raffle is for the 4th of July, she doesn't know if additional funds after the $10,000 prizes paid out will go towards this year's or next year's celebrations. In Wrangell, I'm Sage Smiley. A bill that promises to let the state of Alaska cash in on the booming carbon credit market passed both chambers of the legislature on Tuesday. Under the bill, the state government would manage some of its existing forests to capture more CO2 from the atmosphere. Then it would sell those credits to groups looking to offset some of their greenhouse gas emissions. In recent years, many large corporations have offered have tried to offset their emissions by investing in environmental, social, and governance policies, also known as ESG. That's led the market for carbon credits to roughly triple in the past five years. But carbon credits have been criticized for doing little to reduce emissions, and they've been subject to uh, conspiracy theories about involvement from international organizations. Tom McKay, a Chugiak Republican, addressed some of those concerns. It has nothing to do with the World Economic Forum. It has nothing to do with ESG. We vetted all that. We discussed all those issues. Whether you believe in climate change or not, this is how the operations are being played around the world. And I think it's good that Alaska gets involved. The bill passed both chambers with only two no votes total. Sponsors say forests developed for sequestration projects would still be open for hunting, fishing, camping, and other recreation access. Some Alaska tribes and the Alaska Mental Health Land Trust are already working on selling carbon credits in the state. It's unclear how much money the state would make, but one estimate of the three potential projects shows revenue in the tens of millions of dollars over the next decade. Governor Mike Dunleavy has been a proponent of the project and praised the legislature's passage of the bill in a statement. He's he's expected to sign the bill when it's sent to his office. An indigenous Alaskan author is hoping to break through into popular fiction. Matt Gilbert already has a pair of significant nonfiction books under his belt, but he wouldn't mind crossing over into film or novels set in a galaxy far, far away, in a genre that might be known one day as Gwich'in sci-fi. Robert Wolsey reports from Sitka. Matt Gilbert has written the serious stuff. The 2005 graduate of the University of Alaska in English Literature just published the Gwich'in Climate Report, a compilation of his interviews with Athabascan community members, hunters, and trappers on regional adaptation to climate change. An earlier book, Sitting at Their Feet, is a memoir of his coming of age during a time of cultural transition. It was published in 2021 by the Epicenter Press. Listening to elders is something we should all spend more time doing, but for Gilbert, even growing up in Arctic Village, there was something else. 
I was a big, 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 huge sci-fi nerd. Totally Star Wars fan all the way, Star Trek fan all the way, uh, Lord of the Rings fan, Willow fan. And I love these movies, but I, I always wondered, like, what about us? Don't we have any stories, us Native people, Native Americans, you know? Star Trek is still celebrated for bringing racial and ethnic diversity to space. For Gilbert, it wasn't necessarily about the racial makeup of the actors, but their worldviews. He was raised in a culture of storytelling that just wasn't making its way into contemporary science fiction of any kind. As a kid, I was really disappointed, you know, really disappointed. I was a little kid in front of the TV and reading books, too. I was a bookworm early on. And I'm like, where's our stories? You know, where's the modern native stories, you know, with sci-fi, with fantasy, with any anything? And um, I waited. When I was 15 years old, I was in high school and, and I got tired of waiting. I was like, okay. If no native person's gonna, no native writer's gonna write the stories I want to hear, I'll write. And that's what I did. He did, but not as Matthew Gilbert. You can find his first trilogy under the name Wolf Golan. Wolf for his first dog, and Golan, a tribute to his grandmother's family name. The series is called Chandira, and Gilbert began writing it in high school. It's set 300 years in the future, and its protagonist is Maxwell Wilkes, a Gwich'in Athabascan. For the novels to work, Gilbert had to project not only the future of civilization as a whole, but the future of his culture. He was pleased to learn that many of his peers believe that people will still identify as Gwich'in three centuries from now. When I was writing it, I spoke to Native American people, even young people, like 20-year-olds, right? And uh, I said, in 300 years, what do you think would be, how do you think we'd be? And they'd be like, oh, we'd be heavily westernized, or whole culture would be long, I mean... They're still trying to be Gwich'in, but it's been so long since they were connected to the real, you know, culture, like 300 years ago, 400 years ago. Gilbert says he's been criticized for creating a character who tips too far into Western standards of heroism, but he argues that the differences are subtle. In the first book of the Chandira series, for example, Max Wilkes rides into battle quietly. In contrast to Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and other Western guys yelling stuff, in another nod that is probably equal parts cultural and autobiographical, Gilbert's hero sleeps late. Since Gilbert first started creating the world of the Chandira trilogy as a high school student, he's pleased that Native American science fiction is seeing a renaissance through the works of authors like Rebecca Roanhorse and scholars like Grace Dillon, a professor at Portland State University whom he considers a mentor. And there are new characters, too, who are pushing the Native American worldview into space. A favorite of Gilbert's is Kamina Drummer, a pivotal figure in the huge sci-fi hit The Expanse. Gilbert self-published the Chandira series, but he's hoping a publisher might take the trilogy to the next level into the world of trade fiction. In the meantime, to pay the bills, he and a colleague run a management company, and he works occasionally in construction. He vividly remembers finishing his English literature degree and looking around the university at friends studying to become engineers and other professionals. Eighteen years on, he's still content with his choice to pursue writing. But if I could go back and do it all over again, I, I don't think I would change anything. I I, um, I like being a writer. I like telling stories. However, um, I do actually want to do different things from this time onward. Gilbert is hoping to expand his creative range and possibly move into music. Whatever is ahead, it's unlikely to be a normal job. I tried to get a normal job and be normal, he said. Writing just wouldn't leave me alone. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey.
Matt Gilbert's science fiction is available under his pen name, Wolf Golan, online at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. His nonfiction books can be obtained both online and from bookstores everywhere. Thank you for joining me for Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert, and I report for KFSK.